Welcome to Mac and Blue, where we introduce you to who is building Arizona, bringing you the people and businesses that shape the landscape around us. From economic development and developers, underwriters and lenders, architects and engineers, to the very builders and suppliers that bring it all together. Now let's join our hosts, Robert Johnson and JJ Levensky, aka Mac and Blue. Welcome to Mac and Blue. One more time, another Monday. We are broadcasting live from the illustrious Max 6 studio in beautiful Tempe, Arizona. I am Robert Johnson, Vice President of Business Development with Tory Contracting. He is J.J. Levinsky, the president of Blue Wave General Contracting. How are you today, my friend? Great. I don't know why I did all that when I started. I just kind of got to talking and couldn't stop. Yeah, I think it's the jet lag you're on. Yeah, maybe. Daryl Robertson is our producer. But Daryl, you okay? Yeah, I'm doing good. Thank you. For yeah, being okay. Here. Yeah, I, I, I appreciate you being here because we wouldn't be here without you. <laughs> I agree. And we also have with us today, John Armstrong. I got that right, didn't I? Yeah, you pr- good pronunciation. Yeah, you <laughs> I didn't even ask you ahead of time. Am I saying it right? We've had to do that the last couple of shows. And so I just thought I'll wing it this time. He is the senior director with Civic CM. I would assume the CM stands for construction management. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's actually a great guess. Okay, very good. That's it it's for today. It. Thanks for joining our show. We'll see you guys later. And, and John had a huge commute in today. Yeah, huge commute. Uh, he, what he actually do? resides in on property here, not lives, but works on well, property. Well, we don't know that if he works like he everyone could. else in this industry, he probably does live here. Yeah, it is. It is part of construction. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Really excited to be here. And thank you for reaching out fantastic we wouldn't have known about you otherwise which is horrible but that's what what we do the show for so tell us a little bit about you what you do we'll let it go from there sure so as you mentioned earlier i'm a senior director with civic cm civic cm we refer to ourselves or we think of ourselves as a construction management firm but we specialize in scheduling dispute resolution project controls and litigation support as it relates to construction projects We're a team comprised of expert witnesses. Uh, So some of us have actually testified in litigation or in arbitration. And he's still alive to talk about it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. we haven't been chewed up too bad. So that's good. You know, but but we are a team of, you know, experts in either some sort of claims or scheduling project controls related fields. And we help contractors and owners uh, and then also, you know, pretty much so any stakeholders, developers, designers, whomever it may be that kind of gets caught in a tough situation, um, we help them out gain greater certainty as to what's going to happen on their projects to identify risk. And then in those unfortunate situations in which they got to file a change order or a claim, we help them prepare their best case possible to either defend against a frivolous change order or to really get the truth out there and help contractors and subcontractors or others to say, this is what we really are entitled to for damages. A little bit about myself, though. I, I, my, my, my background has been always in construction. So I was in college. I actually worked for uh, a drilling and blasting company as a laborer while I was getting my degree in construction engineering from Purdue University. Civil um, engineering? Uh, construction engineering. So okay. it's just another specialty within gotcha. civil at Purdue. Mm-hmm. 
our engineering program's a little bit better than our football program, but you know, <laughs> hey, it's not as bad as wow. ASU, I guess. But anyways, <laughs> so he's still reeling from the Syracuse, still the Syracuse thing from this weekend is yeah. what he's trying to say. I, I'm hurting a little bit. Yeah. I'm still a little hurting. <laughs> no, Purdue has a tremendous engineering program. I mean, they're no national nationwide on that front. Yeah. So there was, you know, that was in my backyard. I grew up in the Midwest. Um, I, I originally was going to go into civil engineering, but I didn't want to be stuck indoors all day. So construction engineering seemed like a great balance. Worked in, uh, you know, worked for a blasting company for for a couple of summers, and then uh, I had an internship with Kiwit here locally. Oh, Kiwit! And so I was with Kiwit for a long time, and uh, you know, rose through the ranks, did the traditional trajectory, then went into more into the scheduling claims route within Kiwit. After that point, after working uh, abroad for a few years, uh, doing scheduling claims for them, I decided to come back to Arizona and uh, concentrate my career there. And now I'm at Civic CM, been in the industry for about. Uh, since 2003. Um, so a while, man. So, yeah. So, I mean, a little bit dabbled, you know. Uh, I got you. So, yeah. So, mostly, but, you know, so I have been, you know, getting, you know, boots dirty, working within the craft. Also been, you know, served time as a PM superintendent. But for most of my career, it's been serving now and that scheduling and claims uh, expertise. So, I'm confused. Now, JJ, maybe maybe it's sure. different for you, but I, I um. None of those things have ever happened on any project that I've ever dealt with. There's never been any disputes about some scheduling change orders. I don't even know what a change order is. I say in jest, why? Explain to our listeners why your services are needed. <laughs> it, it, it comes down to, I like to think of it in a couple of different ways. But first and foremost, I would imagine most of your listeners, and I, I would actually hope all your listeners, before they proceed with some sort of work, they have a contract in place, right? Great advice, number one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm not, great advice. <laughs> I'm not an attorney. Don't take it as legal advice, but I think there's some common sense. Like you have to have a contract, and that contract typically models what scope, what you're, what's the cost you're going to do X, Y, Z, and you're going to get paid for this, and then you have a certain time you got to get that front, you know, get that done. So there's mm -hmm. three stools to that leg there, and. Um, I think within the current market conditions, we have PMs and superintendents who are very focused a lot on cost, then on scope, and then scheduling kind of because of a lack of available time, a lack of available resources, you know, scheduling from day-to-day -day standpoint kind of falls in that, 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 you know, in the back of those three things. And that's, it's a scary situation to be, to be frank. Mm -hmm. You know, every every year there's a, a claims dispute report that comes out worldwide and they you know break things down regionally or by continent. And one of the things the last couple of years these reports have been showing is that the average claim amount, uh, the average duration it takes to resolve the claim, and the actual amount of delays associated with the average claim has been increasing three out of the last five years. Wow. And in fact, actually, we are about double than what it was three years ago. Hmm. On top of that, the amounts that we're seeing now are kind of reminiscent of what it was like post-recession or kind of like right as the 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 after effect of the recession was bad. And I remember that's when claims were really kind of picking up again. We're at that level right now. And it seems so strange we're at that level because of the fact everybody, there's a lot of private contract negotiations type of going on. Everybody's singing Kumbaya, having fun. We see everybody's busy. Everybody's busy. We see a lot more alternative delivery methods, a lot more CMARs and design builds and IPD and all these other alternative project delivery methods, but they're not really doing on a global scale, or at least in North America, doing what 
was promised that we were going to get projects for less price, shorter amount of time with the least amount of disputes. The facts don't support it whatsoever. And so that same report shows why do we have these issues? And it's because there is poor scheduling that contractors often don't know where they're at or owners have set up a schedule or a baseline that they measure their future success that's never was realistic. And contractors hmm. say, well, yeah, of course we could do that project in 18 months. And estimators and superintendents and background say, no, no, Mr. Executive, you can't do that in 18 months. You need 24. We've, I think a lot of us have been in that situation. Sure. And there's also, from an owner's perspective, they feel like there's a lack of transparency and clarity with that's coming in from those change order requests. And from the contractor standpoint, the survey is also saying, like, we just don't, we just don't have the resources to do that. We don't have the time. We don't even, even if we did have the time, we don't always necessarily have the technical expertise because construction is just getting harder. When was the last time pre-pandemic, when was the last time you priced a force majeure related claim? Yeah. Crickets. No. Exactly. So those are the things that have, you know, that's the reason why we're talking about today is because claims are going to get more prevalent. There's less resources available to for folks to use. And it's just becoming so much harder to do business with the constraints that we're operating in, even in quote unquote, really good financial times. And I can't imagine what it's going to be like after we're always, you know, we feel the recession two or three years afterwards. I I can only imagine what it's going to be like in two or three years from now. So that's my argument. Why? So no, 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 it's good. Great. It was excellent. I was trying to think of the next question I had, because I got about 10 of them. How did, how did civic CM get into this? specialty? So we were founded in 2014. Um, I am not one of the founders, okay. uh, but talking with, with, with the, the, our, our founder, Tyler Chamberlain, he had, I, I think he had always saw a need that there were some legacy consultant firms who tried to do a little bit of everything. They got estimating, they got PM, they got CM, they got all these different types of facets that they can go and use the, the construction industry but they really weren't an expertise in one particular thing. And I think he saw that there, you know, for a lack of a better term, needed to be a new way to do this type of business, to handle the more complex changes, to get in and improve the quality of some of the work product that was being put out into the industry. And so Tyler since then has really brought in people with a similar point of view, a person, people who have an extreme passion for scheduling, but more so how does scheduling get used to get your desired outcomes? If you're a contractor, if you're an owner, if you're, you know, whatever your stakeholder position may be in the industry. Um, He was looking for people that were really, really driven and passionate about trying to find those particular uh, folks who wanted to use scheduling, contract management, dispute avoidance and resolution skill sets, to answer that kind of that empty void in the industry. So um, that started out, we have offices in San Diego, and now we got them in LA and San Francisco, uh, Las Vegas, Phoenix, Denver, and West Palm Beach. And so we've just been growing to, to keep filling that market because every single time we enter in a new area and we meet new potential clients, they all say, hey, I got something I think we might hmm. need some help with, even if it's not just a claim, but just some project advice, so to speak. What would what's the breakdown of uh, private versus public involvement on the projects? Do you think it breakdown in what ways? Like where we we see most of our yeah. chips falling, you know it, it's 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 tough because it ebbs and flow. Like right now, we are doing scheduling on behalf of the owner for the new Clippers basketball stadium, right? Okay, and so we've had a couple of other very large projects that are kind of twi- you know kind of 
uh, they're, they're winding down. And so we have this other big project that's taking over. So it can really change from time to time. But I mean, it's, I, I would say we're probably two thirds public work, one third private work. So when you say scheduling that you're doing scheduling for, explain what that means. Yeah. You are handling what for them? So what we are doing is that we are producing some sort of scheduling work product. So that could be as typically we think of it as like a critical path method or CPM schedule. Mm -hmm. So that'd be a baseline schedule that could be monthly schedule updates. Um, But it can also be things where we are hosting and facilitating pool planning sessions or the last planner methodology. So we're coming up with what I refer to as short interval schedules. What are we doing for the next three to six weeks, whatever it may be, or some sort of master plan. Um, we are also, in some instances, uh, for a project here in Arizona, we're actually doing a 4D scheduling. So here is the model of it. Here's the BIM. We tie it to the schedule, and then we can see cash, you know, cash reserves growing over time. Uh, we can see the model being built out over time for clash detection reasons and things of that sort. Look for issues. Um, and we're also... Uh, also, we help clients put together, um, you know, bid schedules. So, you know, maybe they either their estimators are overloaded or we got a more complex project and they want to test some new theories out. We will go through and uh, help build their bid schedules. That's kind of the heavy lifting of scheduling. The other part of scheduling, what we do, we do have some clients where they have some, you know, they have some smart, sophisticated folks. Maybe they even have some schedulers on site, but they are looking for that guardian angel, so to speak, to say, I, I, just take a look at my schedule. Does it make sense? What issues do you see? What are the risks or opportunities that you see here? And kind of just give me a health diagnosis. And, you know, out of the 20 projects we may look at, we have one client here locally, and they say, hey, every month, look at our schedules. And then out of the 20 or 30 projects they got going on, we can say, hey, these are all looking pretty good. But these two you got some issues on, and here's where I would start asking the questions, and here's where I concentrate. So they're not just high level looks at schedules, things like that. Right, I, absolutely. It's a good blood test to see what's happening on the yeah. project. So you are, you are, you are performing the role of, but they might not have somebody sophisticated enough to do of that scheduling process, and then overseeing it, making sure, um, putting out the information that you're on schedule, behind schedule all of those things, just basically handling scheduling from beginning to end. Yep, absolutely. And then complementary to that is we take our our lessons learned, our knowledge of contracts, you know, and our ability to be expert witnesses, and then also use it to prepare time extension requests or even to be able to go to, a, you know, to our clients and say, here's XYZ issues, here's the things I would start looking out for too as well. And I think that's a... a, a you know, I think a lot of GCs often miss that is that they may have a scheduler in-house, but they don't typically have a scheduler in-house who's also been deposed, who's had to go through that extreme ringing of opposing counsel grilling you about your work product. You ha- That takes a whole totally different degree of expertise and skill set that a lot of GCs don't have in-house. And we can complement very easily with their scheduling team, or if they don't even have schedulers, but their project managers to help kind of put what's inside their head, put it on paper and make sure we're protecting their rights or mitigating or identifying issues before they start costing real dollars and time. You do a lot of, you, you do a lot of public work, JJ, right? No. Oh, you don't? No, we do all private work. Okay. So but you don't do a lot of stuff that's got LDs, got liquidated damages oh yeah. on it? In the private side, there's LDs all the time. Well, yeah, I mean, sure. But I mean, to me, that's where I see when you're, when we're, when you're talking about that, it's like the mitigating against, because that was something that we're always watching is, when you've got LDs on a job and 
the, as it pertains to schedule. I think, John, the, the one question I have that keeps coming up is, okay, you provide the service. Where does the accountability come in and how do you, how do you, how do you monetize that and then deliver on that with your clients? So like, let's go back to the poll planning. As you know, you can do that great in here and then you get out to the field and let's say you then hand that off to the GC you're working with. They have no clue what that, that end result is. Then where does accountability take over? Or do you guys act as that surrogate as well? So I think what the accountability is this, is that, you know, scheduling and planning. And, and one of the things I've always advocated for is that it needs to be a democratized process. If I go through there and I build a schedule by myself, you give me a copy of the plans and say, have at it. Like it, that thing is going to be useless, absolutely useless. And so I, I leverage my background as being a, a builder myself. And mm -hmm. a lot of people on our team have been in that superintendent or PM role and say, hey, let's talk the talk with the superintendents. Let's understand what they, how they see the project. Let's also talk with our pre-construction team or estimators, right? To say like, how did you envision this? What did you know at bid time? And what was your secret sauce to your means and methods that allowed you to win this job, right? Because we want to make sure we capture that. And then at, at that point, it, it is an iterative process. There's a lot of, you know, at first it starts off as handholding, but a lot of then collaboration to say, here's what you've told me so far. Here's what it looks like in the schedules that match. Or do we possibly run into a bust where you thought something in your head was going to work, but it doesn't. So there's not a sense of an accountability of one person cracking the whip or the other, but it's a much more of bringing them in early into the process so that the superintendent, and the PM own the schedule. And along with their subs, they getting have the buy-in from the subs, you know, getting yeah. a buy-in. You know. Exactly. That's the key word. And then it's also coaching them to say like, this is the things that you need to look out for. So Mr. And Mrs. Superintendent, when you're out in the field, here's the, you know, I, I always teach them, like, print off a part of the schedule. We'll print out what the next week looks like, and then a week after that, and a week after that. Keep it in the back pocket of your, you know, we'll print out 11 by 17. Keep it in the back pocket of your vest, and then just mark off when stuff gets done. And when stuff isn't getting done, write down the notes of what's happening here, and then we can work together to figure out the cause and the effect of what's happening on here. So that the sub didn't have enough people. Is it because there's an outstarting, outstanding RFI? But, you know, this idea of sense of accountability, a lot of times I see owners and GCs make that same mistake is that they're quick to have an over uh, an overreaction or a correction to something without understanding the why. But having a good schedule allows you to better understand the why and the consequences of that why. And so, you know, having somebody that understands the broader picture of scheduling and contracts and things of that sort, uh, you can avoid some really hairy messes that, uh, when people just say, you know, let's start accelerating. And they, they're like, well, well, why are we accelerating? I understand we're late, but why, you know? So that's, that's, was, that's the way I kind of view the accountability. No, I was laughing because we were just, we had our, uh, I serve on a committee with ASA, the subcontractor association. And we had our, what was it two weeks ago? And the whole thing, we had a breakout session where it was one GC and like six trade partners around the table. And it was, a, it was a great thing because we talked about a number of things, but one of them was acceleration and what, and everyone agreed that they're worthless. You actually go further in the hole the minute you try to accelerate something. And so I, I was just, I'm laughing with you, John. <laughs> and there were some very smart people in that room too, where it's like the data proves it. The minute you try to squeeze more out of that, that hole or that turnip, you're, you're not going to get it. Well, yeah, exactly. And, the, and, and if you don't understand the reason why they're doing that stuff, and, and especially even from an owner's perspective, when there's, there's, there's contractual things that they may fumble the football on, 
that they don't realize they're getting themselves a lot greater risk. There was a case in which I was involved with, we'll just say it was within a state within the Southeast Conference. Got it. Going back to our football, and we'll get too specific on it, but it was a highway project. The owner had some bad design. As a result, the, we helped the GC assembled a time extension requests. The owner acknowledged that it was, uh, it, they, they, there was entitlement there. They never awarded the change order. And then at, later on, they said, well, we want you to mitigate and cause the contractor to accelerate. And they ended up at the end of the day, after we got all through mediation and everything, um, the, 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 the claim we had prepared for that contractor, they got 98 cents on the dollar. But the, the, the kicker of it all was that the owner ended up paying three times more than what they've just given the time extension. Of course. Yeah. But yeah, it becomes a principle of the thing. It, you know, I don't know. It gets weird at, at certain times. But, yeah, very, very, uh, very interesting stuff. Uh, we're going to take a break at perfect time, uh, and we'll be right back. Tory Contracting, your full-service Division Nine contractor. Tory Contracting operates with a smaller, hands-on team. This cohesive structure results in superior workmanship and economical solutions. We deliver projects with unsurpassed commitment to quality and stewardship of budget. Tory Contracting, small enough to listen, big enough to deliver. Okay, I'm just looking through some things here. Uh, you really, and, and I'd like to dive into it a little bit more, and maybe this, maybe we will or, or won't, maybe, maybe we'll just see, I'll throw it out there. You talked about like incorporating BIM and, and being able to, with your schedules, watching how that it is being built in the, in the 3d world or 4d world, whatever it is, is that some of the, some of the really interesting things, the trends, some of the stuff that's happening now? Yeah. I, you know, 4d scheduling has been around for, I mean, I, I, I heard about it probably a little over 10 years ago, but it's starting to grow. And I think, but more importantly, what's, really happening with 4d scheduling is that a long time ago i think it was more of a toy sure it wasn't a tool it, it didn't you know it was kind of neat it was great for proposals i mean wow yeah. you could really wow people wow people like oh wow they must really know what they're doing they got that thing in lines and it's moving but now i think people are starting to realize where the true value where it is like they're starting to hone on like we don't need to do this for every part of our project just the really critical part really find the value and understanding the diminishing of return of where it's at. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think what's really going to happen in terms of growing trends in terms of like say technology and you start to see it with the more really, the really smart sophisticated contractors where they are cataloging and scrubbing their data so that when they get into future projects of similar schedules and a lot of the things, a lot of that heavy lifting of doing the parametric and analogous estimates to determine and calculate durations and what, modifiers you use to get to a realistic schedule or at least a realistic sequence or things of that sort, that's going to become much more prevalent and I think is going to build better schedules because you got, you know, here's all this good history because frankly, there is such thing as bad data, bad sure, history. Sure. Um, and the other thing is too, is that, uh, and, and this is a talk I've actually given at like APWA and also at some bar association meetings is, is the use of artificial intelligence within scheduling and how to put in a handful of constraints or many constraints and to say, what's the overall best sequence? You know, is it really that we want to work upstation or downstation? Do we want to work in this building clockwise? If I got multiple buildings on the campus, is there a reason I start on one or versus the other? 
what are all the different reasons? And then along with that, you know, Monte Carlo simulations that come with it, I think is going to be the the new growing trend is going to be the trend going forward. The, the, the problem that we're always going to run into though, is that if the data you put into it is bad, mm-hmm. if your schedule is bad, you're just wasting your time. You're just absolutely wasting your time. If you don't know how to build the work and, it, or if you do, well, a lot of contractors know how to build the work. They just don't know how to show it within the schedule sometimes and then put a time that's, element yeah, to that's it. That's really what I was thinking when you said that. Is I mean, uh, most subcontractors, I, I would say majority. A schedule? Okay, great. Let me get this here. It's going to take me three weeks to do this. You know, I mean, that's yeah. it. And then what was given to you was two weeks. Right. Yeah. You know, uh, and we're right back to where John was talking about <laughs> garbage, yeah. garbage in is garbage out. Yeah. But the whole thing with AI, I mean, that's all fascinating stuff. But I can certainly see, I mean, you talk about it being a toy. I mean, we've t- discussed it on, on this show is that, you know, BIM has been around for a while, but you still have uh, MEP guys out there that aren't doing, aren't working within BIM and, you know, architects that aren't designing in, within BIM. So, you know, getting everybody to play the game in the same ballpark is a big piece of it. But I, yeah, this is, this is really cool stuff. These are all things that when we talk through this, it's like, yeah, that would have helped. And I, I, I think back to projects that, you know, there was a just a horrible time either with scheduling. But the, the one that's fascinating to me, and I may be jumping ahead, the mitigation, you know, the arguments where you, when you are, have to get involved in dispute resolution. Talk about that. What exactly do you do there and, and how? <laughs> how? What's, how? What's the yeah. most, what's the most yeah. common? I have what in my mind, what I think, but what's the most common dispute resolution that you have to get involved in? If there's a trend that I see most often as, as I personally get involved with stuff is contractors going through work. They, they know they're getting impacted. Maybe it's a lot of RFIs. It's a lot of change orders. It's a lot of headaches, but they don't know how to quantify it. Or they, they have a gut feeling like, well, it says I'm finishing on time but I don't think I'm really going to finish on my time. You know, I'm, I'm 50% through the contract duration, but I've only built out 30%. You know, mm-hmm. they have those aha, you know, oh crap moments. And maybe it's because of the executive from, uh, you know, the top floor came down and said, Hey, something doesn't smell right on your project. Right. Uh, but usually there is some sort of gut feeling that happens that they say, Hey, we want you to come take a look and do a die, you know, kind of do a diagnostic checkup, see what's going on with the schedule and tell me what you think is 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 going on. And in that process, um, we we have just like as a doctor would have their own five or six things that they would immediately start to run just to get an idea after just talking to the person. You know, we would go through and look through their schedule, see, read their contract, get a copy of their you know cost report or whatever their financials are in the project to figure out are there any interesting trends or you know analyses there. We start to identify the issues and then really figured out how is it that the the contractor or the owner or the subcontractor, whomever it may be, how have they been damaged? And we can then start to ask much more surgical pointed questions to say, by the way, here's the things that we see. And we would like to talk to you about your structural steel erection on the northeast side of the building. And once you start talking to the superintendents, getting copies of emails and looking through the meeting minutes, you can quite to start. You can see very easily and very quickly where, you know, the story to start to unfold and almost to a point where it starts to to wrap itself in. And then the you know the the client says, okay, well, 
okay, that was maybe my issue or that was their issue, but this other side thing was occurring at the same time. We're starting to then get a clear idea of entitlement as to who has blood on their hands, mm-hmm. right? And then at that point, then it, the, the hard part, well, depending on how you ask and depending how things go, the easy part may actually be the quantification of it, but then it goes through the process of quantifying how many dollars we're we talking about, how many days we're talking about, and those dollars can be a variety of different things. In today's market, you, you'll see, obviously, escalation's huge, right? I mean, I'm, I'm hearing rumors that come in 2023, you're going to have a 12 to $20 upcharge on concrete than what you're compared to in 2022. You have, So you have escalation that's going to play into it. You have disruptions and inefficiencies, right? What happens when you when you crew stack? What happens when you got to bring on your C&D team to a job? What happens when you're on the job for a few weeks and then you leave and then you come back and you're doing that back and forth? And one week you need 70 electricians and next week you only need 20. What is What happens there? All those things have cost impacts that we're able to then quantify. We work with the team at that point. After we've done the quantification, determine entitlement, determine what are your contractual rights and things of that sort. Uh, we can put together that package and then work with the team as more of that project advisor, that trusted advisor to say, okay, this is how we get it across the the finish line. And by the way, if you have some blood on your hands, here's how we're going to, here's how we recommend help solving it, working with your team to find that solution of where do I, where is the low hanging fruit for mitigation so that it's not too much skin off of your nose. John, one, uh, the one thing I keep thinking about is, and I'm not trying to, twist your answer anyway but the um i didn't realize it was that tempo no no, make him feel at home no (laughs) yeah it's twister here at the podcast (laughs) center no what's what's interesting is you know the when we looked at the background of what you were going to talk about the risk mitigation almost like post facto instead of up front would it be fair to say and i'd like you to talk about it is once you've gone through with one client in kind of the retroactive way like get them out of jail get them out of trouble do you find that they're coming back to you proactively now more and more? And is that kind of what you guys are all about? I'm exactly. guessing that's your sales pitch now. That is exactly it. No, you you hit the nail on the head. A lot of our clients are folks that we meet in their, their toughest of times. Right. We take that trust extremely seriously. You know, um, it's not... It, 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 <sighs> If somebody's dealing with a $200,000 claim, that may be the most upsetting moment in their career versus, you know, a $200 million claim somebody might might not be anything. But we all put it into perspective where that person's coming from because it really claims is so much, believe it or not, so much of a a people-driven type of initiative. But with with that being said, yeah, we mostly find people in those really difficult situations where, you know, there's a lot at stake. And then they ask us, like, how do we avoid this? What do we do next time? Yeah, what do are we this? doing wrong? What are we doing yeah. wrong? And so we have a couple of clients where we, we've helped them write their scheduling SOPs. We've actually gone through and we do uh, scheduling classes where we actually have a whole seminar of like 10 different days at two hours each where we teach people how to schedule and how to read contracts, how to do change orders and things of that sort. Uh, we actually do a fair amount training we've been doing it with the uh, arizona builders alliance mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Yes. Yep. Yep. yep so uh, erica and i are best buds so to speak and you know so we do uh so you know she asked us to do trainings on those subjects and so but we do get into that rhythm of okay here's the lessons learned here's how do we uh, ha- how do we avoid it that relationship kind of continues on because they do still continue to ask us to help out on select projects maybe it's more of like i was saying that like kind of like that fairy godmother of scheduling and claims where we help where it's needed. And then when we really, when a situation does arise, because frankly, sometimes, you know, GCs get into hot messes without it even being their fault. 
And so we come in and, and help out in those situations as well. Interesting. How much, John, you know, it's easy for me to sit here in the GC role and think of a, a partnership with you, but how much have you gotten involved deeper at the trade level, the subcontractor level, and how does that look? Is it, is it a different paradigm at all? Because like Robert and I on a lot of other podcasts, we talk where he, he sits in the trade partner, seeks, quote unquote, even though they're, they're general contractor too, but and then mm-hmm. I sit in the GC seat and then we, we compare how the optics are different. And I think this is another one mm-hmm. of where uh, we talked about this at that the ASA thing too, is by the time it gets to the, the subcontractor trade partner, it's, it's been so muddied up that they're, it's almost like take it or leave it. And they're hold they're holding the bag of you know what doo doo, and you know up here the the GC and the owner are having all the battles. But yet, who carries the? Let's be honest, who carries the cash flow? Who carries this? Who carries all the problems? It's the trade base. Yeah, we've we've talked about this a lot. I'm sorry, I'll yeah. jump in here. The paint guy, you know, the paint guy is the last guy. So everybody through the job, they they need two two bit. months and two days. Yeah, they're a little <laughs> bit late. They're a little bit late. They're a little bit late. And so now your painter at the end, you know, he's like, okay, I need you know six weeks. Well, can you got two days? You know, wait, what do you mean two days? You know, yeah, the optics are completely different. So are you involved with the with the trade people, and how do you deal with that? How's that look? So we we are often involved with the trades. Just even here locally, I can't share our client's name there. I get it. No, that's we, but, yeah. But I would I would actually say right now in our current office in Phoenix, almost half of all of our work is with is some sort of subcontractor, usually you know first tier subcontractor mm-hmm. or trade partner. And we've been doing a fair amount of that over the years too, as well. Especially like on a lot of like CMARS, as packages kind of get broken down, we see a lot of that. And then also too. You know, I think one of the big differences between, uh, you know, with the, the GC versus the trade partners, typically a lot of GCs aren't self-performing work, right? Um, so with the trade partners, you are getting, I think, in a lot more into that nitty-gritty details of why does this thing occur have this type of effect, right? Because you are getting down in that trade-by-trade discipline. Um, we do a fair amount of work for both heavy civil and also for vertical construction. So we, we, we've done hospitals here in Phoenix and we're also, you know, involved with, you know, we've done, we've been involved with in some sort of scheduling uh, capacity with two of the largest highway projects in Arizona history. The similarities actually in a lot of sense is that, you know, I, I always kind of find myself kind of going in a similar mind frame of when I'm working with a trade partner on the vertical side is the same way as I'm working with say a GC on the horizontal side, because they're both self-performing a tremendous amount of work. Sure. Right? Yeah. But I think one thing, especially when working with a trade partner, it's always having to know, like from day one, making sure everybody understands how it is that you were planning to build the work and how it was always necessarily or consistent That's with great. the way that was bid the project. And when things start changing as a subcontractor or a trade partner, and, and I, I'm all for, I, I, if there was never another change order, that would be great. There's never a claim because we want to avoid those issues. You don't always make up all the money that you think you're going to make from those things. <laughs> and so to be, to be able to say, Hey, look, you know, Mr. And Mrs. GC, we're running into these issues. X, Y, these things have occurred now based upon our contract, you know, I have to notify you. I know you don't like to hear bad news, but I want to talk to you about it in person. First, we'll send over a letter so that we preserve our rights, but here's what we're seeing. By the way, we may be able to get back to the original or get close to the original bid time plan if XYZ occurs, and maybe we can do some low-cost change orders, or maybe we can horse trade some simple things. But the problem is, is that you can't do that if you don't have your own schedule. You can't do that if you don't have a very clear plan of what it is that you're measuring today against what you know now versus back then. 
And so working with the trade partners is helping them understand that you have to have a schedule yourself. It has to be detailed. It has to mimic what the, you know, what the GCs had. And then you have to update it accordingly so that you can start to what's pooling or pushing or contracting on your schedule. So you can start talking facts and figures as opposed to saying, oh man, I'm just getting beat up all the time. Nobody, you just sound like you're whining. But when you start throwing numbers behind it and, and showing the cause and effect, now all of a sudden you become an ally to the GC so that they can be effective in their negotiations with the owner. And I think in those particular situations, you aren't always stuck at the very, at the, at, at the bottom. And then hopefully too, you would, you know, a GC would recognize like, wow, this particular subcontractor is sophisticated. They've helped me out. Like yep. I have, I, I'm probably not going to be as successful trying to stick it with them at the end. That's the way I see it as. This is going to come from a couple different angles because my mind's going 800 miles an hour on this one. So, John, with your experience, and I think the listeners would really benefit from this, is that have you seen, because what I heard in that last little snippet was that the more effective GCs will have, a, imagine this, a proactive approach with their their trade base and bringing their schedules in, Absolutely. which we're all, let's be honest, we probably do it with our favorites. We don't always do it with the ones that are in the periphery, you know, right. the, the simpler tasks, the simpler things that don't have, we, we look at them as there's not as big of an impact. So eh, it is what it is. They just need 10 days X, Y, Z. Yeah. Okay. But in the contract delivery methods, are you seeing that they're all blending into the same thing? Or do you think they're actually becoming more pronounced and have a different effect as, as we've differentiated those contract delivery methods? So, and, because <laughs> where I'm going is I'm trying to answer that question right. and then come back and say, how does each one of those delivery methods either deter or promote what we just talked about as far as bringing that the cohesiveness together? So, a, a first and foremost, I think you hit the nail right on the head. Sophisticated, smart contractors are bringing in their partners early on to build a plan together. Um, they're democratizing that plan. They're getting that buy-in early on because it's easy to make those changes early on before you start having boots on the ground. Going to the question of as a CMAR or design build or an IPD or some, some sort of thing, I do start to see some things starting to meld a little bit. Um, I, I, my, I think sometimes that, and, and you see this sometimes where somebody's used to doing a lot of CMARs and then they get into a hard bid job, all of a sudden, it's like they lost their edge a little bit. And I think that sometimes, I think sometimes in some of those situations, uh, you know, the amount of planning process that may go into some of the alternative delivery methods isn't as always as much or as strong as it was in, say, a hard bid job. Now, the, and, and that's just purely anecdotal. People could probably have some very valid arguments otherwise. But just from even from a risk perspective, you could almost quantify that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and it's the other thing is, you know, I and I've 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 been on projects where the owner has asked me to review a bit, you know, review a CMAR proposal and I'm I'm going through and I'm checking the line items and they had just completed another project that was exactly the same that is a that was hard bid out, almost nearly identical just on the other side of the road, so to speak. And the cost with the CMAR is 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 substantially more. I'm always surprised by that, but the the CMAR doesn't have the change orders because I think people think like, well, I'm making still making money, I'm doing well. But when they do get to that occasional CMAR, maybe they get to that design build, or maybe they do go chase some hard bid work and things don't go perfectly well, they are lost and it's hard. And all of a sudden it becomes, who am I going to try to pin this on? They got to make up a hundred thousand, a million, or whatever it is 
they're going to try to find a way to take it out of the skin out of somebody or multiple parties. And I think having, you know, one of the biggest risks that leads into those situations with a CMAR that goes wrong and design build, or maybe it is a hard bid job that doesn't go well. One of the biggest things, and, and again, maybe because I'm a hammer and I'm, I'm going to look at things like a nail sometimes. So I'm a scheduler at heart. I'm going to say like a large part of it is because there was poor scheduling management on the job. But I do see that trend growing and growing more. And I think as you know, we get into the recession, get out of the recession, we start going away from alternative delivery project methods back into hard bids like we did, you know, you know, 10 or so years ago, you're going to have that hangover coming over again. Yeah. Um, Immediately into my mind comes that we are, Tory is a prefabricated uh, light gauge steel company. So we do wall panels and trusses and we push. And I tell people all the time, faster we can knock weeks off your schedule it's just yeah yeah and, and we wind up talking to a developer or an owner and they're like oh this sounds fantastic well when in actuality is is that we can build our piece faster but the other trade partners have to also be able to step it up which means they may have to put double the manpower on the job whatever that case is and and we learned a big lesson on it on a the very first project because we were done two or three floors ahead of everybody else, which was fantastic. But the, the electrician, the, the plumber, they're all still plugging along three floors below doing it like they always have. Cause they only had planned 10 people on the job or whatever it is. So they're saying, let's, let's speed it. Let's, you got to keep up with these guys. Oh, well, great. Well, now you got to give me more money. So a lot of that, it, what it has started is that we are involved very early with the GC and say, okay, this is how fast we get this done. Now you need to work with all your, and we'll bring in other trade partners, whoever, but to keep that accelerated schedule going, everybody needs to be under the same understanding. And I think a lot of times that's not the case. They just put it out to bid and everybody bids. Oh, it's going to be 16 weeks for me when this guy's going to do it in 10, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's good stuff. You want to take a break right now or not? Um, yeah, let's, uh, let's take a break. What do you say, Daryl? We'll be back in a minute. There comes a time when dreams become a reality, when you see your vision materialize into a true work of art. And the only way to get there is to choose a general contractor who shares that same vision and knows how to bring it to life. At Blue Wave, we aren't so big that we've forgotten where we've come from, and we aren't so small that we can't care for your projects regardless of their size. When your vision deserves safety, perfection, timeliness, and expertise in order to become a reality, trust Blue Wave to get it done right the first time. So, John, in the last uh, part of our uh, podcast today, um, one thing I would love to peel back or have you share is like some of the nasty expert witness and, and deposing things, not to scare people, but to give the listeners lessons of what to look for. Uh, because I think the, the the stories and the testimonials always resonate better with the listener. So if you can, just share some stories about what you've seen. <laughs> yeah, the, the the ones that always stand out to me are, the ones that always stand out to me is that, I, I think for the most part, superintendents, PMs, field engineers, inspectors, they, they're all they're all good people. You know, I, I'm I'm constantly amazed by, you know, the, the genuine kindness and the intelligence and 
the the teamwork atmosphere within the construction industry. And, and the times where I don't find somebody that's a a good actor, so to speak, is 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 few few and far between. And so it it really is. It's 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 tough to sit in a deposition, a superintendent who is just. They just wanted to move the project along. They were trying to be a good guy. They understood what the contract said. You know, they're just getting raked over the coals. And 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 those folks, man, they 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 just wanted to do what they thought was best for the job. And and the reality is that in a lot of those instances, it may have been what was best for the job. And maybe that's worked for the last 20 years, but today is not what it was 20 years ago. Today's not even what it was five years ago. How about five minutes ago? (laughs) Five minutes ago. Yeah, exactly. So that's the part that always stands out to me as in these cases. And it's not unusual after you go through one. And, and, and to me, this is my, my line of work. It's, you know, I, as a, as somebody who goes in there as an expert witness, you know, you're, 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 you know, you're doing an autopsy more so frankly than anything else. Right. And so you're, you're just using what's the evidence there to, to render an opinion, to appropriate delays and damages necessary. But, you know, you weren't in there on the day-to-day stuff to feel the, the, the angst that a superintendent or uh, an owner's representative was going through or everything else. And they just thought they were doing what's best and things didn't shake out for, a myriad of different reasons. And in some of those instances, those people are at fault for what they did, but not at fault because they didn't care or because they didn't try. They just, it was just, it just didn't work out that, you know, work out on that project. And so that's the part that I, that's always hard to see is that they were trying to do what they thought was the right thing. Where unfortunately the right answer, well, I shouldn't say unfortunately, but the right answer is do what the contract says, work the contract. And if somebody's working the contract and they're operating in good faith, you know, don't get upset that they sent a notification letter. Don't be afraid to send that notification letter. Work the contract, and everybody understands that these are the rules that we got set up. And more often than not, things are going to go pretty okay. And when things don't, chances are you're able to solve them at without having to get attorneys involved or executives involved. You're able to resolve them at the lowest possible level, but that, but going, you know, originally the point of your, you know, the you know answer to your question is just simply, it's like you hate to see good people go through those really tough situations. Right. What usually starts them? I mean, is it um, like the worst one that you've seen? Was it a was it a job that just really went south and they didn't get finished on time, and and owners wanting LDs or whatever it is? I mean, is it those kinds of things that you're talking about that you see where these conversations come up? Yeah, I, I think is that a problem arises. People maybe haven't done a great job of documenting and demonstrating right up front whose blood was on whose hands, mm-hmm. who caused whatever issue. And then at that same time saying, hey, look, even if you do agree to disagree, we're going to track it. We're going to report it as this. I understand that you may disagree with that opinion. You can document it as is but let's at least try to find a solution to, to the job. What ends up happening a lot of the stuff is that people just kind of want to keep it under wraps for the time being. And, you know, like going back to the question you had you know, earlier, when do you get back into these things? It's usually when you just can't ignore it anymore. You know, the facts on the table suggest that this project is not going to make money or the owner's budget is going to get blown. And they have to go back to city council and ask for, 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 for more money, or they have to developer has to go tell their, people who've bought a suite or bought a, you know, bought a, bought an apartment. Like, ah, actually you can't move in in October be prepared to move in in January. That's where I'm getting at this whole thing. It seems that, that the most of this and I, because I've 
I've been guilty in the early days of having that difficult conversation of yeah. just having that. Put the elephant on the table. Just have the in, the difficult conversation. And Absolutely. like Jets, I think that goes to your point about if everybody just understands the contract mm-hmm. um, and you work within the bounds of that contract and not make it personal. Oh, hey, I need to do this because this is what I need to send this notice. I need to, you know, you should already know it's coming if you know the contract. So, yeah. That, I, that's you, a whole nother hour right there. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> but uh, it's so many times it's people that just keep burying it because they, it's going to be ugly. I know it's going to get ugly. And instead of just peeling the scab off of it, getting being done with it before the project gets over. Well, exactly. And you, and you would be amazed, you know, I was talking about that issue of where the, the contractor was being constructed, accelerated, and the owner ended up paying three times more than what they want of. When we were setting down back early on, we assembled a, a type of delay analysis called a time impact analysis. It's a very particular technique of, of demonstrating delays. And we had said, Hey, by the way, we noticed you have X, Y, Z phasing requirements. If we relaxed, these two, we can bring in the entire time. We may have to open up a batch plan on the weekend. So we would ask for you to take care of that. But if we do that, we could probably mitigate, you know, two of the three months and save you a fair amount of money. But, you know, and, and we were able to identify that early on. I think that's one thing that really helped us in that one mediation was that, wow, these guys really kind of told you the answer book this early on, guys. But the 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 owner in that particular case didn't want to talk about it. I, I and I think the it was the, black and white for them. It, they were just they were just like, well, you know, blah, blah, the project's not over. And then at the tail end, like, can we do that now? And they're like, no, this thing has a shelf life. These these mitigation measures have a have have a real honest to god shelf life. And they now, have a schedule too. Imagine yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> There's the and and, mm-hmm. and the funny thing is that unfortunately GCs also. You know, we we touch on it here a little bit. For they they touch on, they want to look like heroes. They want to look like you know, I can pull it off. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, most people in the construction industry, like they're not just happy with, well, you know, okay, well, we didn't get that done. See you later. Like you you dwell on it. You you know, most of the people in this industry really want to 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 be successful, and they don't want to admit when something is beyond their control, and they see it as a sign of weakness. I think, and sometimes Mm -hmm. and. Going back to your question about depositions, you see that where it's like, man, I just really thought I, I just really thought we could get through that, you know. John, one thing I was going to ask is, I think we touched on it, but with Civic CM and what you guys are trying to do with your group and your talent and and things like that, and maybe you can speak to it, the com- your company or even more how specialized kind of your industry is. What's next? What what do you guys see you guys expanding into? Maybe at the end more of that the larger scale. Is it more leveraging more technology? Is it more getting back to the human element piece? You know, do you get in any of the blockchain thing with intermixing some of that or where, where is this going? I really think for us, it really is getting de- back down way more back to basics. Okay. Really? It, it Technology is great. It makes life easier. But the, the reality where the biggest advantages in technology are going to come from is that we have, a sh- you know, we've, we've always been talking for so long about a shrinking craft workforce. <laughs> That's, mm-hmm. I mean, and that's not going to change. That's not going to change. But and, and a lot of people talk about it, like, oh, dude, you know, we have a shrinking craft workforce. Like, yeah, where have you been for you know, the last twenty years, honestly, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. But we we do have a very similar thing that's not as talked much is with a shrinking white collar, you know, workforce. We have less kids going into construction management and civil engineering 
than, than there was 20, 30, 40 years ago in terms of a percentage of the population, percentage of kids going to school. And in some, in some instances, some major construction management programs actually see less kids going in now than what they had 10, 15, 20 years. At ago. the height of the recession. At the height yeah. of the, right before the height of the recession. And it's, you know, that's only going to get worse. So the technology is going to make our jobs easier. It's not going to get us better answers. Some instances, it may help with getting us to better answers quicker. But all that doesn't mean anything if you don't know the theory behind it. I mean, do you guys, you, you guys probably use Procore or something like that? Mm -hmm. your, I do. Yeah, mm -hmm. Procore. And what's your mm -hmm. estimating software? Timberland? Quick bid or just any Quick one of those bid. weird things. Does that make you an estimator? Nope. Does no. Excel make you a mathematician? Nope. No. P6 don't make you or no other software makes you a scheduler or a planner. Very well stated. You so, have to know what you're doing absolutely. and how to do it. Uh, yeah. So it really, it does get back to the human element every time. It, this is a, this is a human based industry. There's no, 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 no way around it. And there's not enough robots in the world. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, at the end of the day, robots aren't going to sign the change order and you got to go and comp be, have, be compelling or convincing in what you're saying. And that takes a huge part of that human element. And it's also recognizing like you can't work craft persons six days a week for six months and expect to get the productivity that you want. You know, that's only going to, you know, take so long. So it's having that understanding the human element is so darn important. And if you take that out of the equation, you're going to get the wrong answer every single darn time. And Good that's stuff. It. Yeah. Um, I, I don't, I think we stop it there because yeah. I was ended on a high note. And Oh my goodness. That was incredible. great information. How, how do people get in touch with you? If they want to get in touch with you, uh, best way through website, your email. So my email address is jarmstrong at civic-cm.com. Okay. Uh, so that's the best way of getting hold of me. Uh, you can also go to our website. And if you're not located in Arizona, so this is, you know, you may have listeners, California. Oh, right. we do. Else, we right? do. Yeah. So uh, you can also go to civic-cm.com. Okay. That will take you to our, that's our company's website. And we have addresses for phone numbers and addresses and emails for all of our, our office leads and directors and principals there. So you can reach out to them as well. Okay. Uh, but You're also on LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn. Yep. So search for me. I'll be the handsome dude on there. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, John Armstrong is a real uncommon name like Robert Johnson. So you just put John Armstrong in and he'll be the only one show up. Be the cousin, only. Of, cousin of Neil. <laughs> yeah, cousin, yeah, cousin so, of Neil. So you'll see John Armstrong with a lot of alphabet soup after my name from all my credentials. Yes. And you can reach me again at jarmstrong at civic-cm.com. We'll have you back for your doctorate. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was discussion. really good. When I was reading, when I was reading um, his bio out loud to my wife, I got finished and she went, Wow, my head hurts. I went, yeah, it's some good stuff. Yeah, all the. He's by the way, do you six know foot what, five. You know, yeah, do you know what CMAR means? I was going to ask the Daryl question. CMAR. No, I do not. Yeah, we kept saying it. Construction management at risk. Manager at risk. Yeah, right. Or no, I'm sorry. Construction manager at risk. Manager. Thank you. Sorry, I I knew that. That's why I was looking at JJ like. I was going to let you. I was going to let. Hey, the, the non GC guy was going to let. Come on, let you go. Let's get out of here. <laughs> All right. Thanks, hey, John. We'll, we'll see you next week. Here. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to The Mac and Blue Show, brought to you by Tory Contracting and Blue Wave General Contracting. Be sure to subscribe to The Mac and Blue Podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Follow Robert Johnson and JJ Levinsky on LinkedIn and Instagram. And tune in live every Monday at 3 p.m. 
as we continue to introduce you to the people building Arizona. Walt Disney said, you can dream, create, design, and build the most wonderful place in the world, but it requires people to make the dream a reality. Until next time, make it a great day.